Well, it is good to be with all of you this evening. My name is Joseph Bianco. I'm the assistant pastor at City Reform Presbyterian Church. If you are new uh, to this location, we welcome you in the name of Christ. And we are glad that you're with us. And my encouragement is that you would stay afterwards, get a refreshment, uh, spend some time with us. We would love to get to know you and welcome you. So we're going to continue this theme of Advent today, uh, reflecting on the blessing of our Savior, uh, which enables us to uh, bless others. Can you all hear me there? Okay. Um, so let me read the word of the Lord here, and then our response after reading the word of the Lord is, thanks be to God. So this uh, text today is Genesis chapter 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred to your father's house and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I'll make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and lot with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran and Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed still on, still going toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you're my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the uh, princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave orders, gave men orders concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, this uh, indeed is your word. Um, Lord, your holy, infallible, inerrant, inspired word for which... Father, we are grateful for its 
central message, the proclamation, the good news of the gospel, the salvation of our souls. Father, would you now uh, impress this word upon our hearts? Would you uh, work even through my, um, Father, my failings uh, for your goodness, for your glory? Father, would you bless this word to our hearing ears, give us attentiveness? We thank you, Father, for your spirit that is at work. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Abram really was a blessed man. I want you to imagine being Abram, right? And God comes to you and he says, of all the people, sorry, I'm not used to this being here. Of all the people uh, who I choose, I choose you to bless. Nations will come from you. I will make your name great, Abram. I will bless you with land. And at the same time, the blessing is both Glorious and terrifying for Abram. Can you imagine the weight of the responsibility of God's words on Abram? So my guess is that you've never had a blessing like this come upon you. Not the way that came upon Abram. But my guess is you have encountered blessing in your own life. But how about a blessing that seemed so great in your life that it felt unreal? It felt like... Could, could God really be doing this thing to me? Am I that special? So we actually tend to do this in a particular blessing that we receive in the course of our lives, right? And, and I bet you can say what I'm thinking right now. It's when we fall in love, right? That's kind, kind of how we feel. Like we have come upon this person and then all of a sudden I have received the greatest blessing that I could imagine. And when this happens, we tend to do something. We tend to cling, right? We tend to cling to the person or whatever the blessing is. Not just cling sometimes, but especially maybe when the relationship gets rocky, where troubles arise, we tend to squeeze tighter, our fists clench a little faster. So I had a relationship like this when I was in college. I met uh, who I thought would be the perfect person uh, for me. And in my immaturity, I, I would try to hold on tighter and tighter and tighter as the relationship grew worse and worse and worse. Now, we don't just do this with people, uh, but we do it with a lot of things, right? Not just relationships. We do it with hopes, we do it with dreams, we do it with aspirations. I want you to think, what has that thing been for you? For Abram, it was enormous, bigger than anything that we have experienced. And unlike when we receive a blessing, Abram knew it was from God. God told him, Abram, I will do these things. But like us, like all humans... Abram tries to control the blessing, even giving his wife away, right, and forsaking the covenant of marriage that God told him when he told Adam, your covenant is with your wife. So the blessing was good, it was from God, but Abram went about receiving this blessing uh, in the wrong way. So how do we receive blessings from God, and once we receive it, how do we handle God's blessings. You can even think of this building as a recent blessing we as a church, right, have received. You can think of blessings you've personally received. So I can tell you the right answer 
before, this is the end of the sermon right here. Uh, We receive blessings in order that we may bless others. We are blessed in order that we may bless. So I want to look at the blessing through Abraham's story this evening. First, understanding that the road to blessing may be winding. Second, that the winding road can challenge our faith. And then third, that God will even despite us bring about his blessing. So these are my three points. The road of blessing may be winding. Two, it can challenge our faith. And three, God will bring about his blessing. So the road to blessing may be winding. I'm in verses one to nine. So let me begin in modern Baghdad. Okay, modern Baghdad. Because that is where Ur of the Chaldeans is, where Abraham starts out his journey. You can read that in Acts 7 and then the chapter before in Genesis 11. So when the text says, go from your country and your kindred to your father's house, the land that I will show you, it means take everything you knew, Abram, and leave it. So Abram then travels from modern Baghdad to modern Turkey. I'm giving you these uh, names so you have a sense of how far this is geographically. Um, Modern Turkey is where Haran is. And from there he makes his way to the land of Canaan, where God calls him, which is where we can think of as modern day Israel, more or less. So this is no short trip that God calls Abram on. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of miles that Abram is walking Through foreign land and foreign territory, Abram is a wanderer. That is what he is. So God doesn't just call Abram to go, but when he says to go, he makes a covenant with Abram. A promise, a relational promise based on a relationship. That God will make of Abram a great nation. That God will bless him, that he will make his name great. See verse 2 here. God says, I will make, I will bless, I will make your name great. It's God that's going to do it. It's God's promise to Abram that although Abram was no one special, really, he was the average Joe, God promises to use him in extraordinary ways. Even there, God does not stop, but he says that he has blessed Abram, verse 2, so that Abram will be a blessing. Abram is the vehicle, right, through which God will bring about the blessing to all of mankind. So to drive my point home, I want you to contrast with the story that comes right before Genesis 12. In Genesis 11, which is the Tower of Babel, right? And in the Tower of Babel, chapter 11, verse 4, it's the people are crying out. They're building this tower saying, we will make a name for ourselves, right? And God confuses them. But here, God says to Abram, what? I will make your name great. God will go before Abram, blessing those who bless him, cursing those who curse him. So verse 3, though Abram, through Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This blessing will extend. Brothers and sisters, blessing is not an end in itself. We are blessed not to hoard, not to take the blessings and to keep them tight but to take that blessing and to bless others. So you need to remember this covenant that God makes with Abram in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, because these promises that God makes to Abram, as you read the Bible, if you're new to Christianity, these will develop throughout the whole rest of the story of Scripture. 
and they will culminate in Jesus. So verse 4, to Abram's credit, right, he goes. And seemingly quickly, he leaves, and Abram really does take a very winding road to blessing. He travels hundreds and hundreds of miles. He knows he's supposed to go to Canaan, but um, God doesn't tell him where in Canaan to go. So he just keeps going until God says stop. So Abram travels through in verse 6 when the text says, at that time the Canaanites were in the land. Now you have to put yourself back in history here to understand why that's important. Um, The Canaanites were actually particularly known as a ruthless uh, and a vulgar people. Um, So John Calvin speaks about them this way. He says, the clause concerning the Canaanites is not added without reason because it was no slight temptation to be cast among that perfidious and wicked nation destitute of all humanity. That's the land that God called Abram to. The point being that God told little Abram with his small group of people and his 70-some-year-old wife to travel abroad to a land filled with Canaanites and that that would be the land they were promised. So we can rightly assume that Abram was afraid. That there's a, this is a big task before him. So another way is to say it, that Abram had, must have had some great faith to trust God in this way and to go. His journey was uh, becoming more difficult and it would have been easy for him to wonder if God was really going to fulfill his promise as he wandered. But then verse 7, God shows up in that land and he assures him. He says, to your offspring, I will give this land. Verse 7. So I want to pause here. Now let's be clear. The call of blessing is winding. And you and I are not called, right, to have nations come from us. To travel to foreign lands, like in the way Abram did, to be the patriarch of Israel. That is not your call. I can tell you right now. It's not my call. But you are called. You are called. So let's not confuse ourselves with Abram in this story. But it's worth asking, if I am not called to exactly what Abram did, in what ways am I called? And I'm going to give you two. There's a general call, which we are all called to, and a specific call. So generally, we are all called to God's word, right? We are called to bless others, to love our neighbor, to serve the weak, to obey our Lord, to to serve the orphan and the widow, to love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The summation of God's word, we are all called to generally. But there is a specific call as well. So that specific call is that thing which is unique to you individually. That thing that God equips us to do. So perhaps um, if you are uh, a husband, it could be loving your wife well. That is your call. Or if you are a wife, it is loving your husband well. If you're a student, it's being a faithful student. If you're a doctor, it is being a good doctor or a just lawyer, or a gracious employer. The specific call of that neighbor, right, that lives only next to me, that I'm the only Christian that person knows, and that's who God has called me to love. Maybe that friend that only you have, or the children that are uniquely yours, are all examples of God's specific call on your life. So if you haven't considered before, what, what is my call? This is an opportunity for you to to begin thinking and asking 
the Lord, Lord, to what have you called me? So we can talk about even the, the call of a pastor, right, as a specific call. I felt called to the pastoral ministry when I was uh, in seventh grade. So the day after I believed, I felt called by the Lord to be a preacher. But I ignored the call until a year after college when I finally pursued uh, his call on my life. Um, so, look, we're not all called, right, to full-time ministry, but make no mistake, if you're a Christian, you are called. So I want you to consider the call, the winding road of blessing, which any call is a blessing by God. Would you consider Abram as you consider your call? Abram in the wilderness, waiting for God to show up in the land of the Canaanites. But God did show up because God called him. And God will show up for you if God calls you. So can we be patient? Can we be discerning, willing to follow that call if I don't know where it leads? Because I know that the end of where it leads, God will meet us there. So I realize that this isn't a whole sermon on calling. And if you need to think more about that, well... I am I'm pleased and joyful to meet with you and we can think and discern your call. Um, so Abram continues on to the Negev, which in, just means south. The Negev means south of Canaan, continuing to pursue God's call to go. But as hard as it was to travel through a foreign land, it gets harder and famine comes. This brings us to our second point, that the winding road can try our faithfulness. So if perhaps Abram had doubts before, we know he has doubts now because of the actions he takes, right, in response to this famine. So there's really two ways to read Abram's actions here. Uh, and I want to summarize the actions I'm talking about. So first is the action of his sojourning in Egypt, his leaving the land of Canaan and going down to Egypt. But the second is his giving up of his wife to Pharaoh, abandoning her to save his own life. So you can read these actions one of two ways. You can either read them as... Uh, disobedient and foolish, or you can read it as attempting obedience and still foolish. So I want to make a caveat here. I recognize when I talk about this, if you're a woman and you've been hurt by a man before, you're going to read that into the story. And I want to be sensitive to that. So as I, as I kind of flesh out these two um, possibilities, would you hang on with me? Because we're going to really look at it, at Abram's actions here. So you could read this as, I said, first disobedient and foolish. And there's a possible interpretation that Abram uh, really should not have gone down to Egypt, that he should have asked God to provide for him during the famine, and that he just went down on his own and therefore was disobedient. Along with this, the exchanging of his wife broke his covenant vow and can, could be read as just uh, rebellious, disobedient, right? I want to offer a, a different reading of the text. Um, I would argue that because the text says that Abraham is not fleeing to Egypt, but sojourning in Egypt, that Abraham has every intention to come back to Egypt. Right? That's what sojourning means. It means I'm going to go there for a time and then return. So I don't believe he's fleeing. Uh, I believe he wants to come back to the land that God called him. Now, in addition to this, it seems pretty bad what he did with his wife. Right? 
Um, I am not defending Abram, and I don't think his actions are defensible. But another reading was that he was actually trying to preserve his life because God had promised Abram that great nations would come from him. And he did it at the expense of his wife, Sarai. So Abram was actually trying to be obedient. He just did it in a really, really foolish way by giving up his wife. So Abram tried to essentially obtain the blessing himself. So I will... uh, So either way, um, what we can assume of Abram is that Abram acted foolishly, right? That he forgot it was God that provides the promise and he forgot God's command to leave father and mother and hold fast to your wife. I mean, that is God's command on Abram as well. Not Abram let Pharaoh have your wife. So Abram was trying to retain God's blessing rather than trusting God to provide the blessing. And brother and sister, this, before you are so quick to judge Abram, this is not that far from us, from me. Can we not take hold of blessings so tightly that we try to make that blessing come about in our way rather than in the way that God will provide it? Now, hopefully no one here has given their wife to a foreign nation to save their own life. Um, It sounds extreme, but I want you to consider for yourself, what have you done to obtain what you believe was a blessing? What have you assumed that God wants you to have so you try and you obtain it by any means necessary? So here's an example. So Paul says, for a reason, fathers do not exacerbate your children. Might we push our children so hard in life because we want good things for them, that we forget God's command to not exacerbate them and so try to obtain it on our own without looking to him to provide. Here's another personal one. Um, I told you I felt called to ministry earlier from a young age, but once I was called, I had to contend with the possibility of uh, failing in ministry. I had to repent that my grip around my call and God's work in my life was far tighter than it should have been. And I had to loosen the grip. So what is that thing for you? So I'll tell you what happened when I loosened the grip. Ministry became so much more a joy for me than a burden. Because I was assured by God that even if I failed, that he will bring about his promise that the gospel will go to the nations, that people will be blessed, and he does not need me to do it. So ministry became a joy for me. Brothers and sisters, I would actually go further to say that the things we do that are even good things, we can do in really foolish ways. Clinging to ourselves rather than clinging to God, whether it's parenting or doctoring or serving or giving or loving, if you do it apart from God, it will not go well. And we will be discouraged. So Abram gave up his precious, beautiful wife to preserve his own life. Paul calls husbands, sorry, Paul's call on husbands reminded, is what I was reminded of when I read this passage, right, from Ephesians 5. Do you remember what Paul says to husbands? He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? He gave his life up for her. 
Abram did the exact opposite. He gave up his wife to save his own life. Now, I don't want you to leave you there because there is good news that, the good news is this, that although we may fear, right, that we will not receive God's blessing, God will work even despite us. And this is what happens in verses 17 to 20. And this is what happens for Abram. So this is my third point. God will work even despite us to bring about his blessing. So Pharaoh uh, takes Sarai, and we don't know all the details, but we do know um, that Abram got really wealthy, right, from trading his wife over to Pharaoh. So verse 16. And that although Abram did not protect Sarai, uh, God did protect Sarai. Look at verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. God protected what Abram did not protect. God is in the business, right, of preserving his blessing, of preserving Abram and Sarai because God will keep his promise. Pharaoh becomes divinely aware that God is plaguing him, so he gives back Sarai and Abram gets to keep all that he had. Verse 20. So something seems wrong here in the story, right? Doesn't it seem wrong that Abram messed up? So why is God letting him keep all of these riches that he got from Egypt? I mean, what man hands over his wife and then God says, okay, you messed up and I'm going to let you receive the benefits from it. He gets his wife back and he gets all of this, these goods. So I am convinced it is exactly because Abram messed up and God still blesses him that shows that God is not doing this for Abram, right? God is doing this for himself because God will bring about his promise and it is through Abram that he promised to do that. He's doing it because God will keep his promise despite Abram's foolishness. And if you do not think that God blesses you and blesses me despite our foolishness, then you do not know the grace of God or the depth of your sin. We do not earn blessing. I can't say it more simply than that. We do not earn grace. Even our most perfect obedience is rags before God. Rather, God bestows his grace freely and at his discretion. He chooses who to bless and he chooses who to curse. And in this case, his blessing is on Abraham. And through Jesus Christ, if you are in him, his blessing is on you. That although Abram is a commendable man, he is not a perfect man. And the nation that would come from Abram, Israel, would be increasingly more rebellious than Abram was. But God used the messiness of Abram and the rebelliousness of Israel to bring a savior, a savior who would be perfectly obedient because we are not, a savior who would actually earn the blessing that we cannot earn. Jesus was perfect. Jesus did not sin. He didn't sacrifice his disciples, right, to save his life. He sacrificed his life to save his disciples. Don't you see, Jesus is the fulfillment of this covenant promise made to Abram over 4,000 years ago. Jesus is the blessing by whom all the nations of the earth are blessed. 
Not only is Jesus the blessing, but the blessing Jesus deserves because of his obedience, because of his righteousness, because of his perfect love, his faithfulness, he gives to you. He gives it to me. Jesus does not squander his own blessings, but he gives it freely. Jesus enacts the covenant promise in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. He came to earth, he took all the blessings, he took all the rights he had as the Son of God, and he laid them down so that we might receive the blessing of God. Jesus gives you your blessings, he gives me mine, we do not earn it, that is why it's called grace, that he would take our punishment and that we would receive his reward. Now as we close, I just want to briefly consider how we have been blessed that we may bless others. So first is generally. We have all been, in a, in a general sense, by common grace, blessed by the work of Christ. So if you're not a Christian here, you might not have thought of this before, but have you ever thought of the, the impact that Christianity has had on the world, on societies, on nations, America itself? The laws that govern us, you may not realize this, come from Scripture. They govern the good and the equity of our society. We get from the Word of God. Commandments like, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not bear false witness, came from the Lord, and they bless all of man. Or have you noticed, for instance, that the names of hospitals around Pittsburgh are names like Presbyterian Hospital or Mercy Hospital or St. Mary's Hospital or retirement homes that are stamped with the names of churches, hospice homes, orphanages, soup kitchens are all to bless the general public no matter who you are because of the work of Christ that will go and bless all of mankind. Where biblical Christianity is, where Christians are living out faithfully their call, so the people around them should flourish. Now second, how can we specifically bless? So I could give you many examples, um, how we will use this building, how we are using this building, uh, but I'm just going to stick to one, which is this fund that we've just created for Community Day School, right? This tragedy happened in Squirrel Hill, and the session asked, how can we bless our neighbors, especially in their need? And the opportunity we had to bless them by increasing, helping to increase their security, which we should not have to do. We should not have to, in this world, increase security to protect three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old Jewish day school Students. That's not something that we should have to do. But because God has blessed this church, it's something the session felt called to do. And what a blessing it is to do it. Now, these are our friends, right? But let me push it even further. Jesus loved us, and he says this in Matthew 5 44. He says, But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Jesus came while we were his enemies. (laughs) Jesus died for us while we hated him. Can we love 
our neighbors, love our friends, love our spouses, love our enemies as Christ loved us? Can we bless others? Because in Christ Jesus, we have been richly blessed. Let me pray.